Hello again, you boys are back. This is for the record, and this is episode fifty. What? We've released more than fifty episodes, but in the, like in the in the in the normal timeline, this is the fiftieth episode. What the fuck? Oh, I think in kind of true for the record fashion. Actually, first, my name is Sean Tierney. Thanks for joining us. Um, uh, with me is Mr. Zach Buggy. How are you, sir? I am not three bad, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm fucking psyched to get into this, what we're talking about today. But um, I think in kind of true, for the record fashion, most people would celebrate their 50th episode with like a big release or a big episode. But no, we're going to talk about a really fucking small band. But it's a band that we could not ignore because as longtime listeners of this podcast will know, this band are so omnipresent in this podcast's lore and in this podcast's fabric and DNA that they have their own fucking klaxon. This band are so intrinsically linked with For The Record that there is an episode that you will never hear where we talk about the best albums of 2021 and they're in it not once but twice and not not from in each of our lists but no Twice on one of our lists, <laughs> the band is, of course, Portrayal of Guilt. Portrayal of Guilt are, I was going to say one of this podcast's favourite bands, but that's not quite true. They're one of your favourite bands, Zach, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They, 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 oh, they, yeah. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, I think I just want to get, I want you to say the words Portrayal of Guilt, and I'm going to put in one massive klaxon just after you say it, because we can't have a klaxon every time we say a portrayal of guilt on this episode, because we're going to be saying it a lot. So you give me your best portrayal of guilt and I'll give you my best klaxon. I was literally thinking just before we started recording this, that surely we're not going to have a <laughs> klaxon every single time one of us mentions portrayal of guilt. Because... <laughs> Because, yes, we're reviewing the new Portrayal of Guilt release today. And it's something that, you know, I said to you, I was like, we can't not review <laughs> Because, number one, they're one of my favorite bands. And number two, I literally mentioned them so much on the podcast, you made me a Claxton for it. So we can't, like, if we let the year go by and we were like, oh, and by the way, Portrayal of Guilt, we have a Claxton for put out an album this year that we didn't review. People would be like, what the fuck? Yeah. So... Yeah, I am very, very excited to talk about the new Portrayal of Guilt because I just, I, 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 like, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that, like, I love horrible music. I love heavy music. I love black metal. I love hardcore punk. I love industrial. I love ugliness, sonic ugliness and audible horror. And, and Portrayal of Guilt are basically, like, my favourite conduit of all of that shit at once they take all of the ugliest things that i like and package them up into one place i can go to and get all of my fucking horror in one place and, Man, it's, and, and they they're, horrible. they're horrible they're horrible <laughs> 
fucking yeah, Christ, this band are disgusting. Um, like this band are so like they're so nasty and vicious that 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 that's not a lie, by the way, dear listener. In Zach's 2020 of 2020, or in Zach's 20 top 20 of 2021, Jesus Christ, that was hard to say. <laughs> I got there. He had not one but two portrayal of guilt albums in it. Um and when we were discussing it, I told him, I said, man, I couldn't listen to these albums this year. They were like, I over COVID and over the isolation, the lockdown, I obviously, I, I'm a musician and like, I had to stop working. Like I couldn't work. And like, obviously all of your kind of self-worth and self-image and stuff can be built up in your work a little bit. And mine definitely is as a performer and everything. So like over the pandemic, I was in a horrible really anxious, like kind of depressive headspace. And I said to you on that episode, I said, man, I'm not mentally able to listen to this band. Like they are not, like I can't do it. And like I listen to some fuck, I, as anyone listening to this podcast will know, like I fucking listen to some heavy shit, nasty shit. I mean, a band who I think might come up a little bit throughout the review, uh, Chatpile were one of my favorite albums of last year. Like they're a horrible fucking band. But there was something about Betrayal of Guilt's particular brand of nastiness that when I was not feeling my best, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't listen to them. I found it really, really difficult. I found them like harrowing, like, you know, um, whereas now I can listen to harrowing music and see it, it for the benefits of, you know, artistic expression and all that stuff because I'm in a much better place, thankfully. But yeah, this band are this band are not for the faint of heart. And I know people say that a lot about like, oh man, you should hear this new deathcore band, man. They've got screaming ugh, breakdowns and they go bleh all the time. They're man, they're scary. And you're like, no. This band are scary. It's funny because like, I I was the same. Like, I, the thing is, I I'm a big fan of the band, and I get what you're saying. Like, I mean, in 2021, I think we were all going through a collective low point in our yeah. lives. Uh, but I found those two Portrayal of Guild albums that came out that year, "We Are Always Alone" and "Christ Fucker," which, like, you know, those titles alone should kind of give you an indication to the the atmosphere of this band. But I found those albums incredibly helpful. Uh, it, in, and I think that's and that says something about challenging dark music that you know or really sad music that you know sometimes it can really help you in a low place and other times it can just exacerbate your own headspace and you kind of have to know yourself whether something is going to help at that time or not and for me like I, like in 2021 portrayal of guilt just really helped me get through a lot, a lot of shit but like dear god like i mean i wouldn't recommend that type of therapy to everybody because like i mean like let me let me go back a little so portrayal of guilt are a three-piece also known as a trio from austin texas and i first heard of them i first heard of them back in 2019 when I'm a huge, if I haven't mentioned it before on this podcast, I'm a huge Def Heaven fan and I'm a huge Touche More fan who I know you also majorly fuck with. I love Touche, uh, yeah. Yeah. Touche are one of those bands, man. Just on a slight, small little tangent, they're a band who've like rocketed up my list of favourite bands. 
And that's all tied into just how much of a fucking boss I think Jeremy Bohm is as well. Like, you know, but like uh, as a band and what they do and the uh, uh, emotional power of a band like Touche, as well as the musical brilliance. Yeah, I fucking love that band, man. Same. And that was so like, I mean, I've seen Deaf Heaven. I've seen Deaf Heaven now six times and I've seen Touche twice. Uh, this game. Can I also actually, I'm going to interject again. Sorry. I have a feeling that there's a breakthrough on the horizon for me and Def Evan. I, I had a listen to Sunbather there not so long ago and it definitely started to hit me a little bit more. Sunbather is... The, 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 when you listen to Sunbather in full and the piano line in the pecan tree, the closing track, makes you cry, that's when... That's when it's finally clicked. That's when it's happened. That's when it, <laughs> I've talked to so many people and they've said to me, when that piano comes in in the closing track to Peak Country, and I'm like, oh yeah. Like I like a year into Sunbather, I was like walking home once and listened to the whole album walking home and the piano came in again and I was about five minutes from my house and I had to like stop against the wall and just have a cry. Because like, yeah. uh, that, uh, Def, like we, I'm not going to get into Def No, Heaven. no, I won't. But I just wanted to say that just because I know that it, it does upset you a little bit that I don't like Def Heaven. But it's... I, I, there's there's something happening with them. It's they're creeping into me a little bit. Uh, so they are. Like you you've got your Jane Doe tattoo. Like I've got my Def Heaven wrote the Judah tattoo. Yeah, like, so yeah. Fucking forearm. Like, uh, so yeah. Th there was a gig in the Electric Ballroom in Camden, uh, and I, I work in Camden. Like, so when there's gigs in Camden, I'm like fucking yurt. It's so handy. And Def Heaven and Touche More did a co-headline show in the Electric Ballroom. So immediately I was like, oh my God, I am buying a ticket for this the minute they go on sale. And then on top of that, it was Touche on the 10 year anniversary tour of To the Beat of a Dead Horse, which they performed in full. So I was like, oh my God, I'm so pumped for this show. And it was a co-headliner and it said, with support from Portrayal of Guilt. And I immediately just thought, never heard of this band, but if they're going on tour with these boys, then they have to be up my street. And I looked them up straight away, got familiar with them before the show. And I really enjoyed their set at the time. And Portrayal of Guilt really were, because they, they've kind of completely metamorphosized, if you will, if that's even a word. Uh, they, for all intents and purposes, they were, they were like a late 90s Screamo revival act. And like, people will know, like, I love Screamo. I'm going to see Seisha in the Underworld mm. in August, one of my favorite bands, the classic Screamo band from the 90s. And Seisha, not Seisha, sorry, Portrayal of Guilt, they kind of took a darker, minimal, kind of almost hardcore sludge approach to 90 Screamo. Like the influences were all over the place. Majority Rule, Page 99, City of Caterpillar, like re-Orchid almost, like real strong Screamo, power violence, emo violence influence. And I mean, it even like the artwork to their first slew of EPs and album and stuff was done by like the guy who did the artwork for page 99 and they went on tour with page 99 majority rule for their reunion shows. And so like out the gate, the band had like the blessing of all these like seasoned old school screamo acts and they're like, they had a self-titled EP and their first album, let pain be our guide were really like, like slightly darker frosted, almost blackened, interpretations of 90 Screamo because I've always said Screamo and black metal have a lot in common and people try and front like they don't but like I mean lo-fi production blast beats tremolo picking 
throat shredded fucking vocals, really overtly emotional lyrics. I mean, black metal scream are strange bedfellows and portrayal of guilt kind of connected those dots. And when I saw them live supporting Deaf Heaven and Touche More, they had just recently put out an EP called Suffering is a Gift. And and already you can start to see the pattern form. The band is called Portrayal of Guilt. Their first album is called Let Pain Be Your Guide. They put out an EP called Suffering is a Gift. This is nihilistic music. With They're a, a nihilistic- bunch of horrible bastards. Yeah, very much horrible bastards who write songs about like the lowest horror that we can imagine. And the thing people took away from Suffering is a Gift was it wasn't that screamo sounding. It, it had kind of taken the really caustic and harrowing and heavy and oppressive and dark moments and angles of their first EP and first album and kind of trimmed away much of the post-hardcore screamo elements, anything that could be considered melody or anything that could be considered a respite from the, the chaos was trimmed away. And Suffering is a Gift is very much like a almost blackened screamo meets grindcore project. It's like six or seven or eight tracks, all barely a minute long, really violent and heavy and oppressive. So... After that I'd sounds, seen them, that's that sounds about right. That tracks, yeah, yeah. And after I'd seen them live doing that support set, I was very intrigued to see where they would go next because mm. I really liked that first album and I liked this much heavier EP. And the set was a mix of both. So then I didn't think about the band. That was the end of 2019. Didn't think about them throughout 2020. There was no real output from them. Uh, the world went in lockdown, yada, yada, yada. Then 2021 happens and literally the very beginning of 2021 and everything's kind of up in the air and shit. January, I got like an email from Close Casket Activities because Portrayal of Guilt had just signed to them. And it was an email telling me about their new album, We Are Always Alone. And I remember being like, ooh, these boys are back. Uh, I remember seeing them, they were great. And I wonder where they're going now. And nothing prepared me for how much I would genuinely adore We Are Always Alone. I think it was one of my top five or top ten albums of 2021. I was obsessed with it. And that just kind of... It didn't go full the way Suffering is a Gift made you think it would, but it definitely showed that that was a step in the new direction because for the most part, We Are Always Alone is like... It's like black metal meat. It's like blackened sludge metal meets screamo, but like like the ugliest type of screamo you can imagine. I tried to kind of sum up the sound of portrayal of guilt just purely using bands, like, and it was very hard to do because they're a weird band, man. Like, it's it's all these like really nasty experiments in like darkness and violence and evil and it's kind of like a little bit like blackened hardcore yeah ish so but it's got black metal vocals and it like so i just came up with really really basically and it's not it's leaving out a couple elements i just think it's like mayhem mixed with trap them and it just has this like you know this fucking like i that dirty sludgy entombed core of of like trap them and all pigs must die and fucking nails black breath all of that stuff 
that like just fucking like roll me over and tickle my belly like that is my shit i cannot be objective about that music like i i just love it man it makes me so happy and then it's got black metal which i'm quite picky about now i think when i was younger and i was trying to get into like heavier more extreme types of music i was like all black metal is great and that is not true there's a lot of really shit black metal. So I'm quite discerning now with my black metal tastes. And uh, black metal vocals in particular, I can I I find make or break projects for me a little bit. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because like I'm a singer or whatever myself. I, I find vocalists can really, really make or break a project for me. But portrayal of guilt's like fucking absolute whomping of, like I said, trap them into mayhem. I was like, I can get on board with this, definitely. And I think, yeah, I don't want to jump ahead into the review just yet because I know you wanted to talk about the the two records. Um, Well, I think it's the fact that, like, on We Are Always Alone, it's still at its core sounds like the same three-piece band trying to write this blackened screamo, but... It feels like the suffering is a gift EP where they really experimented with just straight up viciousness and heft that left a lasting effect where they kind of started prioritizing that over most post hardcore isms or any like screamo motifs where it really became it became like a punk project using elements of extreme metal. You know, black metal and sludge metal and industrial and harsh noise and grindcore, but all utilized to create something that felt more like hardcore or screamo, but but solely relying on extreme metal motifs. So like as much as I loved Let Pain Be Your Guide, really dark post-hardcore debut and The Suffering is a Gift kind of grindcore indebted EP, the second album, We Are Always Alone, like probably my favorite thing of release of theirs and even from the opening track the second coming there's just something about how it's like the black metal tremolo picking and then these abrasive grindcore drums yet there's there's something about matt king the the primary songwriter he's the vocalist and guitarist how he he paints these horrific lyrical pictures of like like the thing about portrayal of guilt is like there's no the only reference point is like nihilism. You know, the songs can be about think grounded things like addiction and suicide, or they can be completely otherworldly tales about demons and succubi. And but Matt King has this like because of like his frosted howling demeanor. There's definitely a blurring of like real anxiety and real depression and real horrible feelings like blanketed and shrouded in these these anecdotes and these stories and fables of horror but like there are moments where you genuinely forget like what the what the a narrative of the song is and you're just you're just faced with the actual lyrics that are in front of you being like howled at you and there are moments on we are always alone that are genuinely like just genuinely frightening like there's a at the end of anesthetized there's like this trudging sludgy repetitive breakdown 
and he just screams, it's not hard to see that I failed myself. Or there's a, the ending to Garden of Despair. Uh, is it Garden of Despair? Um, no, it's already over when he, when he repeatedly screams, you know, my eyes rolled back, the terror begins, I followed the light, there was nothing at the end. And you know, like though, you know, I was an I. Is it any for, wonder I couldn't listen to these albums in twenty twenty one? Like, no, no, it, no, it really isn't. Because I remember even one that stuck with me. It still sticks with me. Is you know, I've searched for heaven in the ceiling, but all I found is an endless sea of black. I like so. I mean, the the these are horrifically depressing tunes that are delivered with the most caustic viciousness and. I think there's a reason why, like, We Are Always Alone is like nine tracks in 26 minutes. Betrayal of Guilt deal in like half an hour albums because you can't be listening to a Betrayal of Guilt record for like an hour straight because it's just, it's not even designed in that way. And most of the tracks, like, because the band utilize a lot of like ambient and industrial harsh noise interludes and interpolate them into the tracks, a lot of the time, like, songs can only be a minute, minute and a half of just pure viciousness. And then you get these really atmospheric, dark segues. Now, We Are Always Alone was like the bridging point from, because it still had the elements of Screamo and post-hardcore from Le Pain Be Your Guide, but it definitely started showing its more aggressive bent now from The Suffering is a Gift EP. So after We Are Always Alone, I had figured that the next thing would probably be even heavier again, because at that point, We Are Always Alone was like, it's basically taking Screamo and post-hardcore into to a realm of darkness and heaviness that I'd never even heard it played in before. So I was very pleasantly surprised when the band announced later that year that they had another full-length album, a third one, coming out in November of 2021. And it made sense because We Are Always Alone came out in January of 2021, which means it was done since 2020 in lockdown. And then the band couldn't tour the fucking thing much. So they were probably just in the studio and they're quite prolific anyway. They've loads of splits and demos and EPs and shit. So it didn't surprise me that much, but it was still like a lovely, pleasant bit of news that they had another new album coming in the same year. Then I read that the title to the third album, the follow-up to We Are Always Alone, which had just come out that year, was going and to be just 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 before you reveal the title for anyone who doesn't know, Portrayal of Guilt were a band who got a little bit of, of hype-ish on We Are Always Alone. Not like you know, not like fucking sleep talking levels or Lorna Shore levels, but like, you know, on the underground and on like, you know, various different like internet like outlets and stuff. Portrayal of Guilt were a really, really buzzy name, you know. And then they decided to release a record called Christ Fucker. <laughs> In all caps. In all caps. Uh, yeah. Whew. Let pain be your guide. Suffering is a gift. We are always alone. Christ fucker. So, <laughs> and the album did exactly what it kind of set out to do, which was nail their new fucking black and colors to the mast of to the cross if you will to the cross of nightmare music where they just at this point kind of disconnected from the last morsels of like post hardcore and screamo that were very rare on we are always alone there's one track on we are always alone the penultimate track my immolation 
which is literally about a, a, a self-immolation. It, the whole song is a detailing of him covering his house in petrol and then himself and then watching himself burn alive. But the ending of that song has a like a gothy post-punk outro with Matt King singing. And and it's very strange because I remember thinking, wow. Uh, and Portrayal of Guilt do have guest vocalists appear from time to time on each of their projects. But I looked it up and I was like, oh, there's there's no guest vocalist on this track. That is Matt King singing. And he's singing in this really cool, almost Bauhaus refrain and literally talking about his skin and uh, bones turning to ash. It's lovely. But Christfucker comes along and I was wondering, at that point I remember thinking, oh, will they go more in this gothy post-punk direction on the next record or will they? And then Christfucker happened and it was like, no, this album is literally an embracing of all our ugliest ideas and aspects and any bits of the post-hardcore kind of screamo like motifs that were present recently, they're going to be replaced with horrible, dissonant, jangly, off-key fucking clean guitar, which sounds like, it sounds like the fucking, a lot of the time it sounds like the dueling banjos from Deliverance played in an occult sacrifice in a field. It's like, these horrible ding 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 mixed with like this incredibly sludgy, dour fucking like atmosphere that's like the album's produced by one of the members of Uniform, I think. And yeah. and it's like and it's had Matt King start like channeling like deep low growls as well as his like black metal rasp. And lyrically, this album just kind of traded in much of the more grounded nihilism of We Are Always Alone and Let Pain Be Your Guide, where he talked about addiction and self-harm and sh- and like like murder. And, and like he still talks about murder on this album, but Christfucker is much more almost like we were talking recently a few episodes ago about Ohm's new album, Rot, and how those songs are very much all about different classic horror films. Mm-hmm. Even the song titles... The song titles are named after these classic horror films. And that's a really fun record. Like we said, it's funny that this album is about horror movies, but it's really fun. This album is like about the horror films that like you don't watch with friends. You know, this is like an album of scaring the hoes horror films. And they're not, they're not even horror films that have names. These are like, the, these are like the songs of snuff films. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, the real first song on Christfucker is called The Sixth Circle. And that whole song is about like just visions of cults and sacrifices in fields. Uh, And it has that line, you know, uh, walk this mile of agony and you will find God at the ends of the earth. And when Matt King shrieks that, like it, 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 I I got a chill even listening to it, saying it there. Every time I listen to Christ fucker, that's the first song. And when he, he shrieks and you will find God at the ends of the earth. I'm like, I want to turn it off already. I'm fucking frightened. And from there, Christfucker runs the gamut of like, there's a song about being in love with a sadist who tortures you. There is a song about going to hell and the sins that you committed in life make you like a presence in hell. When I arrive in hell, the demons kneel for me. Uh, Bodies fill a mass grave dug by shackled angels upon high. Like, like, Matt King's got to talk to somebody. He really does. Yeah. There's a song called Darge, which is about coming home. I think I'm not sure if it's about a dream or 
just a, a fucking thought in his head. But there's a song just detailing coming home and finding his partner after committing suicide. And the whole song is just about the emotions that hit him when that happened. Jesus like it's Christ, man. Yes. It, and like and that song then has the most frantic fucking like start stop that is just eerily unnerving. I mean, when that album came out, when Christ Fucker came out, this is the like this is the level of intent the band put into their like their twisted art. You know, when an album comes out and the label on YouTube will put up each song separately, so you can watch them on videos on YouTube. And most of the time, it'll be like the artwork to the album. And like, uh, you are listening to The Six Circle by Portrayal of Guilt from the LP CD cassette, Christfucker, out now on Run For Cover Records. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. These, these didn't. When these didn't even have the artwork. If you look up Portrayal of Guilt, Christfucker, the Run For Cover label uploaded tracks, each song just has an OG black and white hypnotized spiral. And I listened to one of the longest songs in the album, uh, watching the hypnotized spiral one night. I'd never done it. I'd just been like, oh, cool. And I have the album on vinyl and shit. And one night it popped up on YouTube. And I clicked on and I just sat there chilling and I watched the whole spiral for the whole five minutes of the tune. And when the tune ended, I like stood up and I was tripping. And I'm not joking. Like, it's never happened to me before. Like, I was tripping. Like, the walls were breathing. The Everything was swaying. All the colors had flipped out of chart. Like, whatever that hypnotized thing was, it was a natural thing to create, like, a sense of hallucinatory euphoria. I went on for about 30, 40 seconds. I literally said to my missus, I was like, I'm tripping. I was like, I'm, I can tell. Like, my colors, everything is like, I need to sit down. And after about 30, 40 seconds, everything just went and, and slipped back into place. And like, I didn't imagine that. Like the band, like literally put in like a hypnotizing thing. So like when, like, like that's that the level of fucking deep, yeah. dark thought in that. Now, if I haven't sold it enough, Christ Fucker is an ugly, ugly, ugly listen. Even the last two tracks, uh, Where the Suffering Never Ends, which now that I think about it, that was the single they released from the album. Yeah, Betrayal of Guilt release a single from their album, Christ Fucker, called Where the Suffering Never Ends. And to probably tie into the fact that the hypnotic video thing made me feel like I was tripping, the video to Where the Suffering Never Ends <coughs> is about two girls in a forest who drink mushroom tea and start having a horrible trip where they see demons come after them in the woods. So I don't know what the band are getting at there, but yeah. Where the Suffering Never Ends is about your idea of utter tranquility being a place where you're torturing yourself all the time. And then the closing track, Possession, is a song about the exorcist, essentially. It's a song about a young girl being possessed. And it's a fucking haunting, terrifying closer. And by the time Christfucker had ended, and like in 2021, we had We Are Always Alone and Christfucker, two of my favorite albums of 2021. And by that point, I was like, oh my God, portrayal of guilt of like, awoken something in me this is my favorite extreme band and they are they're my favorite extreme metal extreme hardcore like they're my favorite go-to heavy band for extreme music now over full of hell over anything i i like i am so just like on the pulse of portrayal of guilt now and i went to see them there last summer in the black heart at a headline show and it was incredible like just 
they like they blanketed the small stage in like purple light and smoke machines. You couldn't see them at all for like half the set. And it was just this wall of oppressive sound, but they're so tight and they're so crisp, crystal clear with their sound for like these mass walls of pummeling abrasion. It's just admirable. And after we were always alone in Christfucker, I remember thinking that's why I was so hyped to see them again because the first time I'd seen them supporting Dev Heaven and Touche, it was very much the first album and EP and their kind of post-hardcore screamo beginnings. But now they'd fully gone into this much darker like vibe on their later material. And when I went to see them the second time, it was pretty much all We Are Always Alone, Christfucker, and two new songs. And I remember looking at the set list to get the names of those two songs and thinking, these aren't on any splits or anything. I don't know these. These must be new tunes that are going to be on a new release soon. And since Christfucker, things have been relatively quiet for Portrayal of Guilt, apart from touring. They put out uh, another standalone song called Chamber of Misery Part 3, which is continuing like saga of tunes they've done. And they put out a split with Chatpile. And that's actually how I first heard of Chatpile, who we reviewed last year, God's mm-hmm. Country, one of both our favorite albums. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and I first heard of Chatpile through Portrayal of Guilt releasing a split with them and me being like, oh, I love Portrayal of Guilt. Like, got to check out this band they've done a split EP with and the rest of it is chat pile history. But now we arrive at Devil Music. Yes, we do. Um, which I think, again, <laughs> allow me to reiterate one more time. I feel like you can track their musical and atmospheric journey through the titles alone from Let Pain Be Your Guide to suffering is a gift, to we are always alone, to Christ fucker, and now finally straight up literal devil music. Yeah. This is, uh, thank you. You've, you. you've set the scene r- rather, rather brilliantly there. Um, I have still been kind of wary of going back to those records. Um, but when you suggested that we do this album, I was like, Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. Well, it's an EP, actually, isn't it? I think. I'm I'm a bit unsure. I'm, of I'm unsure, called. yeah, as well. Because when it was announced, it uh, the article I read called it an album. Okay. The band called it an album. Then what I went on to the band the label, call it an album. It's an album. And then the label call it an EP. And on Spotify, it says it's an EP. EP. And then on certain vinyl websites, it says EP and other ones, it says mini LP. And then, so then I was calling it an EP. And then the day it came out, I follow the band and I follow Matt King, the front man on Instagram. And both posts said, really, thank you to everyone who's picked up our new album. Okay. Well, in that case, it's an album. Um, And I will also say that... Even if certain people are considering, and I can hear the argument for this being an EP, it is literally longer than any of their first three albums. <laughs> um, it is. So that's something to consider too. The reason for the confusion, though, is an interesting one. And I think I mentioned the phrase early on, calling them kind of nasty experiments in darkness. And um, this album is an experiment in darkness. This project is literally... The same five songs twice, except the second time around, there's a big difference. Um, but we'll get there, will we? Will we just leave it? Uh, for those of you who might not have checked out the album before hearing this review, we'll we'll get to that. Um, so I, I think 
in terms of side A, let's call it, you get really, really heavy, ugly, blackened, hardcore. As I said, there's a touch of trap them about a lot of the music here. Chapoil are definitely a musical reference point. Um, and you get the black metal vocals on top of it. And immediately, immediately, as soon as you hit play on One Last Taste of Heaven, as soon as literally the second you hit play, there's a, just this ominous, scary, evil, sinister atmosphere to this to this project. And that does not let up for the entire duration, but very overtly, I think, on tracks one to five. Um, from one last taste of heaven straight through until devil music, this is fucking oppressive, horrible, nasty, distorted, ugly music. Um, you mentioned snuff movies and horror movies. I was trying to think of like, what type of horror does this evoke? And you're right. It's that, that bordering on band movie horror shit, like as in, the snuff, like this isn't like, you know, the elevated horror of recent years. It's not like a slasher. It's more dark. It's more blurring the lines between reality, like real evil and horror evil, I think. So your, your, your kind of, your, your link to the kind of snuff movie stuff is, yeah, the face is a death almost. Like it's you're 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 on the money there. I think definitely. There is definitely a. The thing about Devil Music, the first half anyway, is that, and like I said, when I saw them live my second time, in the Black Art, they did two new songs, and those two new songs are off of Devil Music, and one of them is the opening track, "One Last Taste of Heaven." Now, with Betrayal of Guilt because I'm such a fan, I, I really like vibe on what the lyrics to the songs are because I think they open up a whole other dimension because, you know, Matt King's vocals are so horrible. The arrangements are so like precise and calculated to evoke these like intense feelings of anxiety. So then the lyrics always just open up a new chapter to that. And for instance, One Last Taste of Heaven seems to be a very brief detailing of carrying an angel's corpse up to a wooden pyre to burn it and then it immediately goes into untitled which untitled seems to be untitled seems to be one of the most harrowing depictions of purgatory i have ever read in my life you know there's that line about the gate opens and the demons dance around me taunting me that and like the thing I love about Portrayal of Guilt is, like I said earlier, with Matt King's lyrics, they there always seems to be like the essence of a concept there, but they never go full concept album. You know, even We Are Always Alone goes from tracks about like suicidal ideation to being kidnapped and tortured to burning yourself alive. So, but all of the tracks are rooted in a feeling of complete isolation and loneliness. And Christ Fucker seems to be a similar thing where the songs all take a very blasphemous, 
Ruth were either talking about demonic possession or suicide or, you know, occult rituals. And it seems to be like the tracks all kind of take their own form, but have the essence of like anti-religion and blasphemy about them. Devil Music. Devil Music seems to be a title that I guess in my interpretation, you know, alludes to the fact that, you know, in the seventies and eighties, like black Sabbath, that was devil music and Metallica and Iron Maiden devil music. Cause it's talking about Satanism and death and Slayer devil music. So portrayal of guilt are almost like leaning into that and taking this, like they're basically writing the music that like old conservative parents in the seventies thought devil music was portrayal of guilt are like oh we'll give you fucking devil music or else they're like so, creating their own genre in the same way venom did you know black metal they're like no yeah. our genre is now devil music that's what we yeah. write you know it's and like yeah, the, nailing the colors to the mast almost exactly the, the colors of black so i mean <laughs> different like, shades of black exactly and this is a different shade of black so i mean like you've got one last taste of heaven and untitled very blasphemous very like what you'd expect devil music to kind of be about. Mm. Then you get Burning Hand. And um, I just want to shout out Burning Hand, actually. Um, I'm going to read the lyrics to Burning Hand. Because as fucked up as they are, there's a kind of dark beauty almost to them, which is a bit, there's a poetic kind of bent to them. Anyway, make up your own minds, okay? Cutting herself repeatedly, she paints my body in her own blood, bound by desire, lusting over me, a lover's embrace on this bed of nails. Under her spell, I can feel my memories fade. Her burning hand will always haunt me, bound by desire, lusting over me. She paints my body in her own blood. It's like I'm living in a nightmare. And like, don't get me wrong, that shit is fucked up. But it's almost, there is a kind of a beauty to it. There's a kind of a dark romanticism, like a kind of a Edgar Allan Poe-ish. I don't know. There's a kind of romantic, dark, romantic, gothic vibe to it. Um, and yeah, Burning Hand. Burning Hand is the shit. But that's, that's the thing I... I love about Matt King's lyrics because like I mean even as far back as we are always alone I mean he writes these songs that are like truly horrible yeah. and, and unsettling and disturbing but there are lyrical moments of like genuine poeticism and artistry in there I mean there's a one of my favorite songs on we are always alone it's called garden of despair and there's a line I think at the end of that where he says you know um Stay, yeah, staring into the void, searching for ecstasy. And he repeats it and screams it over and over and over again till it becomes this like, it, he's almost trying to like force the, the vision into you to kind of make you think that like, it's something that we all do in our life. You know, we stare into the void, searching for ecstasy. You know, we're, we're looking for purpose and joy and, and motivation and like by doing nothing except wallowing and staring into the void. I'm staring into the void, searching for ecstasy. And I think that there's just, there's, there's a horrible dichotomy there. And so burning hands is like no surprise to me. Like, the, mm. and, even, and again, I love that burning hand, to bring it back earlier when I was talking about my immolation off of We Are Always Alone, burning hand is the first track since my immolation 
that we hear Matt King dusting off those gothy, like post-punk clean vocals at the end, you know, her burning hand will always mm. haunt me. Sounds like fucking Killing Joke or something. Mm. And it's got that real, or typo negative even. It's like goth rock, death rock. And even the the opening, it's like that sludgy industrial. There's almost that industrial percussion going on and that real that detune, that sludgy kind of opening clean riff. And like those clean parts are almost more unsettling than the heavy parts. Like, and that opening to Burning Hand is fucking unbelievable. It's it's so cool, man. And then you get, and then like I said, when it gets into that dungeon, 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 and it turns into that real gothy post-punk outro, and then the fact that when when it ends, it's like the, it's like I'm living in a, and then fucking uh, where angels come to die just careens into existence with like the most oppressive display of frosted blackened blast beats and fucking tremolo angular riffage and like and the lyrics on that like that that again it seems to like we've had the devil music of one last taste of heaven and untitled the fucking visions of purgatory and then burning hand this this almost succubi imagery for a failed relationship and then where angels come to die seems like it's about heroin addiction yet done in the most done in the bleakest manner where it it starts being a song about utter nihilism and depression and misery and shame and then the lyrics elaborate to, to show that it stems from addiction. And then, you know, I push the needle into my skin, uh, desperately trying to numb myself. And you, and then at the very end, he says, you know, this is where angels come to die. Like, you know, equating addiction and like knowing and being so disgusted with yourself, yet you can't help. But, but, but knowing that you're stuck in a cycle where the reason you feel so shame is your addiction and the only thing that will quell these horrible feelings of misery and shame is the the drug that you're addicted to and it's like that that Ouroboros feeling being described as like where angels come to die like where where you take the the saving grace and murder it consciously and like and you have those backing vocals at one stage from I think she's called anomaly or anatomy is her stage name she go a Jenna something I think is her real name and she has that really haunting like whisper spoken refrain before the track just comes back in and takes full fucking abrasive of assault at the end and then again the segues on this project Patricia Guilt are great at that uh like every album has songs where like this is a really cool riff a real cool moment and then it then it completely like complements the transition to the next track. Whereas like on the first listen, you'd be like, Oh fuck, I'm on a new song now. And when he just screams at the end, this is where angels come to die. Boom. The next thing you're into devil music. Mm. The closer. And yeah, devil music continues to kind of devil music is the one thing that I think, you know, the title track seems to really indicate the, it's almost like a sequel to Burning Hand or elaborating on Burning Hand more because it seems to be, and I'm again, I'm not trying to like, you know, this is all interpretation and shit. Like I said, Matt King writes very horrible, expansive lyrics, but it wouldn't surprise me, as I said earlier, is he's the type of guy who 
takes these dark, horrible stories and anecdotes and narratives and probably does imbue vulnerable pieces of himself and shrouds them in these horrible stories. And I hear that again on Devil Music where he's not, and let me put up my hands here in case anyone's like, oh, that's so cliche. I'm not saying that I don't think he's being as cliche to say, oh, I was with a woman and she was a demon to me. Uh, I'm getting more more images of like, you know, from Burning Hand and from the title track, Devil Music, that, you know, you know, if you are in the wrong relationship with the wrong person and you share the wrong pieces of each other and become dependent in the wrong ways and then it can end ugly, you know, it does have signs of like, of demonic fucking possession and fucking otherworldly betrayal to one another and to yourself. And he takes, he, he clearly takes these images of like a woman and, and a relationship that he interpolated himself within and, and it's damaged him and his being to a point where like you can you, you know can almost I mean? hear like, you can almost hear like the the kind of would say if you were to link burning hand and um uh, where angels come to die in that sense of you know you you get that hint of like the drug use or whatever it's almost like his level of addiction or the way he, the place he's fallen to has made him see this person as a demon. Like he's almost like hallucinating this demonic presence in his life, you know, as like a, a direct result of his own depravity or something. It's, it's fucking horrific. And to end the, those five songs on no one will ever hurt me the way you do is like. Yeah. It's that, even that image to, bring it back of him saying you know she pulls my hair she pulls my hair backward and whispers into my ear and he starts repeating you know i want want to watch watch you suffer suffer. i want to feel your pain yeah and it's almost and he repeats that over and over to a point where you know and it almost creates that image of of a twisted toxic codependent relationship where you're hurting each other to save one another you know, it could also I want be his relationship with heroin or drugs, man. That it, just his yeah, relationship anything. with addiction, yeah. like it's it's unclear, but it's very very affecting. And that brings us to um, side B. We've only gone, as I said, Betrayal of Guilt, short enough albums. Mm. We are always alone. It's nine tracks, twenty six minutes. Christ fuckers, ten tr- tracks, twenty seven minutes. This uh, devil music at this point. We've gone through side A, the first yep. half of the album, five tracks. We're talking about 15 minutes. Yep. We're talking about dissonant, horrific guitar, crazy wild drumming. Like like just the darkest, most disgusting, horrible, dank music you could possibly imagine. It's Portrayal of Guilt do what they do best in five tracks and 15 minutes. And then... You press play on side B and you get the same five tracks, but that musical landscape has been replaced by cello, French horn and tuba, as well as some percussion. An acoustic bass. The only thing that is the same is Matt King's soul piercing frosted shriek. But they're actually not the same vocal takes. For no. their different vocal takes, it's a fucking because it would have been easy to put the original vocal takes over the music, but they wouldn't have always fit, I don't think. And uh, you can really hear yeah. it on um, where angels come to die. 
it's actually it doesn't have the high shrieking scream as much it's got the it's slightly lower down but um i think when you replace the really horrific distorted music and you replace it with real strings and real orchestral instruments which is what they've done here they haven't reimagined the songs they've just replaced the instrumentation with orchestral music you really see it brought a whole new level of appreciation to the original music for me um because you realize it's not like studio trickery or kind of some underlying synthetic synthetic synth atmosphere that they're playing like that creates that evil sound and that like oppressive sound it's the music it's the composition it's literally the music is doing that to you and that's quite a fucking skill but when that opening riff of one last taste of heaven comes in on the strings oh my god it sounds like if fucking it's amazing it sounds like if there was a black metal band in like the time of game of thrones yeah yeah absolutely yeah and the like we spoke about the intro to burning hand as well when that is played on the cello fuck me it's unreal and like the way they manipulate the riff on with on where just come to die which is really really fast and the way they manipulated it to be to play it on strings is like and it sounds almost melancholic at the beginning i was gonna say if it wasn't so dark it would almost sound like glorious almost or something like it's almost got a major key feel to it which it doesn't but it almost does but it's so dark and so terrifying like it's fucking incredible you see, that is the track I thought would be the strangest because, as I mentioned earlier, Where Angels Come to Die starts with this fucking utter abrasive blast yeah, beating. A barrage of blast beats. Yeah, and this mad tremolo riff. So that was going to be one that was nearly impossible to recreate identically. So it's the one they take the biggest liberty with at the beginning. But how they rearrange it, it like you said, it it has almost these, these major keys in it. But the... The thing is, I I, I don't want I don't want people to get the wrong idea. There isn't major keys, but there's like rising yeah. strings. It's like the music moves up rather than straight down and in your face. It's got this, yeah. It's really, really, it's really, really wonderful trick that they've pulled off here. It's it's see, what's pretty special, is, man. What I love is the fact that you see. When they announced Devil Music a few months back, they released the second half mm. of this album, the orchestral section of the five tracks, as a short film, kind yeah. of similar to the Turnstile with Turnstile Love Connection. So they like, so it's like a black and white 15 minute short film about some nice lost in the woods plagued by visions of succubi holding goats, all very traditional horror. Um, but when they released that, I like sat down and obviously my, so my first introduction to devil music was the second half, the side B, the orchestral half. And the main thing I thought immediately, because like I'm such a big portrayal of Gil fan and <clears throat> seen them live twice and love their music so much that immediately hearing these tracks, hearing the orchestral side first, each song, all I could think was number one, I was enjoying the fuck out of it because it's so cool and dark and unsettling, but 
I literally found myself with every track going, holy shit, what will this sound like when it's Portrayal of Guilt doing it the normal way? <laughs> like, what, like hearing all these dun, 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 all these cello fucking riffs and notes. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, these sound haunting. Well, I can't wait to hear like these with Matt Ki- King riffing yeah. them with his sludgy style and, and blast beats. And like, I could tell just from hearing these orchestral songs how vicious the side A versions were going to sound. And then when the album came out and I listened to side A first and finally heard the, the, the traditional versions of these tracks, they were everything I wanted them to be. And then when I went back to the orchestral side B, it made me appreciate again even more because I was hearing the expansion so it was like a complete complimentary whichever side you listen to first you could listen to this album backwards if you wanted like yeah I the thing that I actually like about it is that they play the orchestral side of it very straight they don't go for the creepy you know the kind of running your fingers along the top of like the muted part of your guitar or they don't have any like weird prepared piano stuff in it or they play it like as you would play a score. If a score is written in front of you, it's almost like Wagnerian in its kind of, not in its bombacity, but in its weight and its heft and its power. Like it's just, it's like you've got an orchestral musician to sit down, you've given them a score and they've played it. It's not, right, let's make this really creepy. No, they haven't done that. They haven't added like atmosphere or whatever. What they've done is written some really fascinating and interesting orchestral pieces and they've put like black metal vocals over the top of it and I don't know which came first the original kind of more blackened hardcore music and then the orchestral piece but either way whatever way they've done it much like you said it doesn't matter what way they've done it either way the chicken or the egg it doesn't matter either way is impressive if they've written these originally as blackened hardcore screamo songs and then transposed them onto orchestral elements, or they've written a score type composition and then transpose that to black. It's equally as impressive. It's, this is excellent. This is one Mm -hmm. of those, I think this is a really, really interesting, well-played, all of that good stuff. You know, those highbrow concept is interesting. It's fascinating to listen to, but I actually think that this is, this is quite special. This is something. I think I, I always think that bands should be championed for moving outside the boundaries of any perceived genre or whatever. And sometimes bands do it and they absolutely fail. This is a triumph. This is a band. I've heard, like, obviously, I mean, fucking Metallica played with an orchestra, but they still had drums and they still had electric guitar in there. I want to stress that Portrayal of Guilt have taken out all your traditional metal instruments, your extreme music instruments. They're gone. They've removed them. They're playing this as straight as possible on orchestral instruments. And not the band themselves. They've enlisted the help of other musicians to, to do it. But it's, this is fucking wonderful, man. And it had that wonderful circular effect of, me listening to the side A, actually really, really digging it. Not not being blown away by it or anything, but being like, this is fucking, yeah, I love this. And then going on to side B and being like blown away with a kind of 
oh shit, this is fucking different. This is something I haven't heard before. This is a band reaching. This is a band attaining something. This is a band achieving something. Uh, like the balls, the brass balls it takes for a band of Portrayla Gill's size to reach like and get. And do you know what I love about it? And this is me being a little bit nerdy. Just bear with me. I'm sorry. Like as someone who like is into music production, like as much as I love studio trickery and plugins and what they can do for music, I love that this is real instruments. And from the moment you can you hear it, it's like, oh shit, that's a real cello. Wonderful. This isn't some plugin that's been played on a keyboard. This is real musicians playing real instruments. And maybe there's some plugins added in along the way just to add to it or overdub or whatever. But the basis is real instrumentation. And that is to be championed first off, but it also adds to it so, so much because there's, um, so again, this is me being a little bit nerdy, but just bear with me. Uh, there, when real instruments are recorded really well, which these are done, they resonate more with us than electronic instruments do. Um, just on a psychological, biological level, we actually, human beings' response to strings and real orchestral elements is innate in us, apparently. There's actually a scientific, biological reaction to it. And you can hear, for me, when you get this really, again, I know it's a word I've used a good bit, but this really evil music played on real orchestral instruments, it's a wonderful kind of effect. It's got this wonderful, terrifying, oppressive effect on me. And I, I love it. And listening to it on the second half really made me come back and appreciate side A even more. Um, yeah. yeah, this is, this is one of those special releases. I really hope that this sticks with me. Like I think it will, because I'm, getting for full transparency we only decided to record this uh three days ago four days ago maybe and like we it's been pretty busy or whatever but i i haven't listened to this maybe as much as i should have to try and give a full overall you know objective review of it but the five or six or seven times I've listened to it have left have left a real impression on me. And I think what Portrayal of Guilt have done here is they've opened me up to the possibility of what... This to me is actually kind of boundary pushing in a way that, you know, a lot of music hasn't been for a couple of years. I think that there was that kind of 2007, 2016, 2017 interesting boom in hardcore where stuff changed a lot and now we've just seen people build on that but this is extreme music done in a way and it's a word i used on the shikari episode in a fearless way that i i think is a credit to portrayal of guilt and i i don't want to get into the whole conversation because it's just something we disagree on but you know the way i was given out about people giving all those plaudits to imperial triumphant for what they were doing with music and saying oh this is revolutionary and everything i've and i was kind of like i've heard people do this stuff before i've i don't i don't i've never heard anyone do this before 
what Portrayal of Guilt have done on this on the second half of this album. And it's fucking awesome. And as someone who has had a long and arduous relationship with extreme metal, and I've gone through ups and downs with it, and I've fallen in and out of love with extreme metal, this has really reopened my eyes to what extreme metal can do when it's played at an extremely high level. And yeah, I'm I'm all about this release, man. What if, whether it's an EP or an album, whatever the fuck it is, this is really, really amazing. I'm well, well in on this. And this is why Portrayal of Guilt have their own fucking Claxton. This is why I mention them all the time. I'm, I'm telling you, these I've I've known it for years. These lads are just, there's something about them, man. And like you said, it's like, it isn't effects driven. It's down to the compositions, even on the albums, the earlier albums, if we are always alone in Christfucker, like that atmosphere and oppression and darkness, like for all the, the dissonant, like fucking effects and like the riffs and it all comes down to the compositions at the end of the day. The compositions are written in a dreadful manner that like evoke feelings of like on like uncomfortable these uncomfortable feelings of just like nightmare fuel and i think this album just really like it makes it so direct by giving you just five songs and then giving you the five songs again completely stripped down to a point where you are faced with nothing apart from the vocals you are faced with nothing identical except for the notes being played mm. except for the, the music as it was composed and it's, when you hear it's taken that idea of you know um I, I always accredit it to billy joe armstrong but i'm sure he stole it from someone else as well uh he said the, you know the 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 secret to a great song is that you can play it on an acoustic guitar and like portrayal of guilt of almost like said yeah but you can also play it on a string section <laughs> you know what i mean they've stripped away all the distortion and all the fucking overtly heavy for want of a better word, because the second half is arguably heavier than the first half. You know what I mean? But sonically heavy and distortion and what we know as traditional heavy and extreme music. They've taken that away and they've presented these songs in a completely unique fashion. And it's fucking incredible. It's like showing you that like, you know, how do you know that your music is truly oppressive and heavy and dark and unsettling? And it's not just because it's, black and hardcore yeah it's like because we fucking re we're, we're having it replayed in like orchestrally and and it's causing even more of a fucking menacing atmosphere than the traditional first half does like yeah. that that is testament to the compositions being as frightening as they are and like you said there is such an ouroboros effect to the fact that you listen to side a and then you listen to side b and you appreciate like the compositions of side a reimagined in this dark oppressive orchestral manner and then by the time they're finished you you fall in the you've fallen down the like the fucking cave of like these otherworldly fucking machinations that you just want to hear them re reinterpolated back in a more traditional black and hardcore approach so each side makes you want to compare it to the other one again and yeah. again so you can find yourself trapped listening to it more than once like and it's really unusual like it's really unusual like I, I can't really tell you which I prefer because one doesn't exist without the other and one doesn't make sense without the other. Yeah. You know, you need that, like... Hence, or, that's what I said, hence, like, an Ouroboros. Like, you yeah. know, it's the snake in its tail. Like, you need both of them con in constant rotation with each other. 
I was going to say it's like the light and shade effect, but there's there's no light on this. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's like the dark and darker effect or whatever. It's a different shade of dark or whatever. But it's it's a, a fascinating experiment in nasty, evil audio wizardry. And I am. And it doesn't. I'm I'm really, really. I'm so excited now now that I'm in a better place emotionally to go back and check out this band because this is this doesn't happen you know by accident this doesn't happen to bad bands bad bands can't do this I don't give a fuck every band is capable of writing one good song like there's countless one hit wonders that will attest to that every band is capable of writing one good song Bad bands, and I'm using that really kind of basic term, cannot do what Portrayal of Guilt have done on this release, on this project. It is impossible. There's no way. There's it, Unless you're incredibly skilled, detail-oriented, and passionate, and believe in your own music, you cannot do devil music. I, I'm convinced. So for me, that means that there's a treasure trove of other stuff that I can now go back to and be like, you know, see the, the signposts to devil music because devil music has opened up a portal into the evil world of portrayal of guilt for me. This is fucking great. And this is why, like, I mean, I don't, it's not like every episode I'm championing loads of different extreme blackened hardcore metal bands. Like I'm not like I portrayal of guilt are my go-to for anything like this because they have just become one of my favorite heavy bands, one of my favorite modern bands. I'm mm. I'm obsessed with them and I get excited about all their releases and they they like provoke emotions in me and reactions from me that like all their stuff gives me chills and I find it endlessly enjoyable and there's great re-listenable qualities because like the songs are so short and they're so technical. But this so is great. so replayable. This yeah. is so replayable. It's amazing for something as abrasive and caustic as this that you kind of do want to keep playing it a little bit. It's fucking killer, man. And just what you were saying there, like, this isn't my favorite release this year. Like, uh, what yes. Am I? yes. <laughs> it might it might be, I don't know. But nothing that I've listened to this year has provoked the same reactions in me that this has. Yeah, nothing. and that's what, that's what Portrayal of Guilt do, boy. Yeah, it's it's really, really brilliant. Um, I'm delighted you like it so much. It's literally my full transparency because I knew I'd love it so much. And I've still got so many albums I'm really looking forward to this year. But at the moment, ranking-wise, I went through my list. It, it, Portrayal of Guilt is at the top of my list, second to Zulu. Really? Okay. Yeah, that's how yeah. high I rate Devil Music. I It's everything I it's everything I wanted from Portrayal of Guilt. It's continuing. It's, it, it's kind of, it's taken its lessons from Christfucker, even though it, it has a slightly different atmosphere to Christfucker. Christfucker is so sludgy mm. and so like dour. This has a bit more of the frenetic intensity of We Are Always Alone with the sludgy heaviness of Christfucker. But it kind of, it feels like we're not at the next stage of Portrayal of Guilt yet, wherever they're going to go with the next full length. But it's like they wanted to, before they try and chart a new course, they wanted to do this specific experiment, which is like taking their where they are now giving us five expert like 
examples of where they are now and then showing us a completely different side which just completely wowed me like i'm loving that it's wowed you so the fact that it's it's mm. left this impression on you someone mm. who's never really been into them and then someone like me who's been following them relentlessly since they clicked with me like for them to release something like this and reward my patience and anticipation and like ad adoration for them with something this unique and challenging and rewarding i this is why we portray the guilt of a Claxton and why they're like my favorite band in extreme metal at the moment. I I love them and I think Devil Music is just a stellar example of why I think they deserve far more attention that they're, than they're being awarded right now. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, I I can't recommend that anyone listen check this out enough. Uh, it, like it, if you came to us uh, for the Paramore review, maybe you know give this a miss. But if you're into heavy stuff, anything heavy, like th this is your shit, man. You you can you can find something in here. I I I think this is fucking brilliant, and um, I think it's an absolutely appropriate entry into the further record canon, particularly at such a uh, um a significant number as number fifty. Um, so I'm delighted yeah, we did this. I'm delighted you like it so much. I, I I'm proper chuffed. If anything else, if no one else takes takes heed of this i'm glad that you did <laughs> yeah it's fucking brilliant I, I think i think everyone needs to to check this out if you have any interest in heavy music there is something in here for you um so yeah that was episode 50 of further record my name is sean tierney his name is zach buggy chat to you soon music is the best portrayal of guilt is the best bye